Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Just real quick, if you want to connect with us, head down into the show notes and you'll see all of our social media links. You'll see the link to get a hold of our great resource guide. If you could hop over to iTunes and leave us a really nice review, that'd be wonderful. Helps other people get a hold of us. So today we have another interview. We've been doing a lot more interviews these days. Yeah, this was a really great one. I know we keep saying that, but they're they're all really great. They're all really good because it's interesting seeing people who hopefully can kind of give us different perspectives of the similar topics that we're, we're seeing. And today I think is really interesting. I think Kate Scott is a good person to talk to because she represents kind of the public school mentality. You know, she's deeply enmeshed in it. She's a public school teacher. She's on track to become a principal. Right. She's yeah. Really, she's, she's training new teachers, right? That's, yeah, so that's her job now is she, teaching new teachers. She's deeply in the public school model, but Now she's homeschooling her kids. Right. And to see somebody kind of, you know, have their normal life kind of, you know, broken up by COVID and then having to do something completely different and seeing how she talked about the public school, how she talked about homeschool, I thought it was really illuminating, especially somebody who is obviously very well educated in the art of of education, Mm -hmm. understanding a lot about the public school system. It was a great perspective to get when she, you know, introspectively looked at homeschooling as an entity, I thought that was really an interesting. Yeah, it was. Take it was on we the talked situation. a lot of, you know, some educational theory, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, she like like so many people, we've all had our lives kind of turned up, yeah. turned upside down uh, by COVID. But you know, homeschooling was like something. You know, I think she mentioned she she never would have done. Uh, you know, was never in her plan at all because she's yeah. she's such a huge proponent for the the school system and and to find the ways that uh, homeschooling has shown her some new things that she's going to take back to the classroom. I thought was really interesting and and what she she's taken from the classroom and brought to homeschooling. Kind of both dynamics. Yeah. You know, as much as we are huge proponents, obviously of homeschooling it's not right for every family and it's maybe it's right for your family one year and it's not the next. So, uh, you know, we're definitely are not here to in any way bash the public school system. And a lot right. of you listening may be sending, sending your, your kids, kids back, back yeah. when, when all of this is over, which is, you know, absolutely no judgment. Um, because that's, you know, you, everyone does what's right for their family and what's best for their children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that just should go without saying, uh, but I thought it was really fun to hear somebody from that side kind of, you know, talk about what homeschooling has meant for her and and the ways in which she can use that to inform what she's doing in the classroom and maybe when she becomes a principal, how she'll run her school. I thought that was just, it was super interesting from um, 
from an educational theory standpoint, and mm-hmm. she had a lot of great recommendations. So yeah, we'll there was a lot of books notes. and things. Yeah. So yeah, they'll be in the show notes. Don't worry about writing anything down, uh, but great resource. So let's kick it off with Kate Scott. So Kate, uh, can you tell us a bit about your your background? You have got quite a bit of educational experience, and, and could you fill us in on some of those details? Yeah, absolutely. So I was never going to be a teacher ever because there are so many women in my um, family who are educators. And so I resisted that until I got to um, micro and macroeconomics in my business degree and quickly realized that that was not the direction that my life needed to be headed and um, made a switch. Uh, So I went to Bellevue Community College. I think it's Bellevue College now um, for uh, my associate's degree while I was also working in retail and completed my associate's degree. And then I got my um, BA in elementary ed from City University and uh, got a job in Lake Washington in in a four, no, let's see, at that time it was a five, six multi-age. And I loved teaching sixth graders. Um, And then sixth graders went to middle school, which is a fun little world um, that I did (laughs) did not want to teach in. So I moved down to teaching in fourth and fifth grade, um, and I was really fortunate to teach there um, until I had um, my son, and um, I had got my started my master's in um, teaching as, before I got pregnant with Grady. So I had to call my mom and say, "Guess what? I'm having a baby, and will you please come out next summer because I'm having my baby, and I have to take 18 credits." <laughs> <laughs> to finish my master's degree. So I got my master's degree in educational leadership from Seattle Pacific University, um, originally with the intention to become a principal, but with little children, I put that dream on hold for a bit. Um, I continued teaching until my daughter Peyton was born. And then at that point, this is pre-McCleary, uh, it was more expensive to hire a nanny than it was to uh, to and to teach, you know, and so I decided to stay mm-hmm. home and that job was far too difficult to be a full-time stay-at-home parent. And so I called some of my old professors and I said, please tell me you can hire me. And I got really lucky. I started doing field supervision, which is um, working with the university to observe pre-service teachers and um, to watch them teach and give them feedback and help them grow as they are uh, becoming prepared to get their certification in Washington State. And that then yielded uh, some teaching opportunities. So I've been teaching for Seattle Pacific University as well as City University for the last four years. And hot off the presses, I just went back to school to finish up that principal cert. So so beginning next year, I'll be doing my internship to receive my principal certification in Washington State as well. So I said I was never, ever going to be a teacher. And then that didn't come out to be true. And then I said, I was never going to teach primary. Um, and I am, and then I also said I was never going to homeschool. And now here I am, uh, homeschooling a first grader during a global pandemic. So, well, you know, we call a lot of you guys, uh, accidental homeschoolers. Um, (laughs) and that's kind of, that's kind of the term we're going to, we're going to hear somebody say accidental homeschooler. We're going to take credit for it one day i think yes. we totally stole it from somewhere else we so, probably did we, but i don't know where as so is, let's claim it everything is borrowed <laughs> um so you 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 have a you know a huge public school background you're on the track of being a principal 
what was kind of that that deciding factor to start homeschooling this year? Was it COVID related or was it more of a different decision? Yeah, absolutely. So I knew last year during distance learning, um, when we started distance learning, that it wasn't working for my kid. And it was actually a really hard decision for me because I um, believe very strongly in public education um, and had to kind of reckon with this ideology that I had held around public ed and then also meeting the needs of my child. Um, And so um, at the point in which we made the decision to homeschool, it was very important to me that we kept our federal our our money um, and our enrollment in the local school, which is how we ultimately arrived at this um, kind of happy medium of -hmm. doing the parent partnership program through the Snohomish School District. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, it was just really an important thing to me that I had the flexibility to do what I needed to respond to my child, but also um, in a a bigger picture, um, it was important to me to keep our enrollment and therefore our our money um, in our local school. What were some of the challenges you were seeing? Was it the attention, you know, staring at the screen? Or was it just not working? What were some sure. of the challenges that you saw? Yeah. So I guess to back up, to be fair, what we saw last spring, I don't think is similar to what we're seeing this fall, um, because I think that it was just everybody was just doing their best, right? And so yeah. there wasn't as much intention um, and and really careful planning that we're seeing in the field now last spring. Mm-hmm. But what it ultimately came down to for me was this. I got so lucky last year that I had a teacher who knew me and who knew my kid. Had he She was very aware of his strengths and his areas of opportunity. And she knew my background. And she was so willing to work with our family. And so when I would log on to Seesaw and we had 119 missing assignments, right? I didn't feel a lot of pressure because I had a relationship with that teacher where I could say, hey, here's what we're working on and here's what I did with Grady and um, and this is the path that we went. And she would say, awesome, that is so great. Like, thank you for filling me in. And I had that rapport with her. And for me, the gamble part one was what happens next year when I have a brand new teacher who I don't have rapport with, if there's somebody who is going to be um, maybe a little bit more of a rule follower. Um, and, and I'm in a situation where as the, as the primary educator, I'm having to follow someone else's path because I have strong opinions about how things should be done. Sure. Um, sure. So I was concerned about that. And then also, yes, te- um, we are not, I believe in using screens very purposefully. And I understand mm-hmm. that we, you know, this is, this is the best that we can do at this time. Um, and I, I wanted my child home this year. Um, but I didn't want it to look like um, a lot of a lot of screen time. You said you had some concerns being a stay at home. I'm a stay at home father, and I do the homeschooling uh, for my daughter, and you know, soon my second daughter when she gets maybe a little bit next year, we'll start doing some preschool level stuff. You had some concerns being a stay at home. Now you're homeschooling. Is there? some fears or concerns you have um, in making that transition back into kind of being the educator, being close to the kids again, kind of on a a longer basis than you had in the past? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I think part of the complication of being a stay-at-home parent for me was this identity shift between like being someone who is so in love with their profession and then 
mm-hmm. uh, not no longer kind of having that avenue with very young children mixed with all of the feelings of young parenthood, right? Um, <laughs> it's a lot. And so yeah. I feel like part of part of having uh, employment and being back in education for me was this sense of reclaiming some of my identity and having uh, things for myself, things that were exciting to me um, and, and kind of balancing my time a little bit better because as you both know, parenthood is so consuming and it's the best, best job you've ever had, but it's also the hardest, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that, I think that was, it's a little different now. I definitely feel like, um, you know, we made the decision to send our pre-K, um, student. So she's at a Montessori school and (laughs) we felt like given who she was, um, and how outgoing she is and the phase of development that she's in, that mm-hmm. we felt, and also given the fact that I have a, she's an extreme extrovert and my son is an extreme introvert. And so being able to pull off his learning with her around <laughs> gets complicated <laughs> very quickly. Um, and so, so that was kind of, so, so I feel like it's been really, it's been an interesting adventure in the sense that we're still very busy um, but we kind of are doing both, right? So we're sending one and we're keeping one home. And um, I think that the biggest lesson in it has been um, the empowerment to respond to the needs of my kids. And I know that that's, I have to say, like, that's also a position of privilege, right? Like I, um, that I, I don't take that for granted, the fact that because of my husband's job um, and, and because of the nature of our work, um, because we haven't been um, impacted in our employment you know, both of our employments were able to move to to distance, um, just fine. So I recognize that it's it's a you know it's a privilege that we hold that everybody doesn't have the same options that we were able yeah. to have. And you're currently working as a lecturer for university, and that that you're doing that during the day as well. Uh, so. Or is that kind, kind of, of like on, on hold? Yeah, for it's so it's all online at this point. Everything that okay. I do is distance learning. Um, and so CityU is set up um, really in a very creative way to try and accommodate people who are working in the schools and getting a, they're seeking an alternative route to certification. So that those okay. classes are all on the weekends. Um, and then the other work that I'm doing, um, I have scheduled classes, but they're in the afternoons and they're all okay. online. Yeah, the reason why I ask is that there's a lot of parents out there who are able to move to home, you know, home employment, but they're not able to send their kids to school and they've chosen the homeschooling path and they're having to manage both homeschooling and employment at the same time. I didn't know if you're, are you seeing those type of challenges on your end? And and what are you, if so, what are you doing to overcome those? Yeah. So since we're a two parent home, it's passing the baton, right? We're running the relay race. So we have very uh, clear cut schedules around like my husband when he's logging on and when he's working and when he's logging off so I can work and, um, yeah. and w- what time of day, you know, our work is happening. Um, so really what we've, what we've been able to sort out is that um, each morning, Monday through Friday, um, I have a designated chunk of time from nine to 1130 that Grady and I are working together one-on-one direct, direct instruction, direct project-based learning together on his schooling. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that is when the structured learning is taking place. And then anything outside of that is uh, including sister and 
uh, is just the, it's kind of the best we can do because I'm in that situation where I am wearing multiple hats and you know two roles of working and also um, and that's where that precious quiet resting time comes into place uh, <laughs> we, because we, 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 we do we do we have a quiet time as well so yeah. we understand oh it's precious, the, precious. yes that one fifteen to three o'clock is like just <laughs> golden and I don't feel bad about it because there's research that supports our decision to allow our children to be bored so <laughs> yes, the the right to be bored. I, yeah, we totally, ju- we just talked about that on a podcast, on a podcast recently yeah. about how to survive COVID yep. at home, and you yep. know, having that quiet time every afternoon, even if your kid doesn't nap, that's fine. We we send our kid to her room, yeah, and from, she naps like about fifty percent, two thirty to yeah. four thirty, and mm-hmm. sometimes she naps and sometimes she doesn't, but she yep. comes out refreshed, kind of either way. Yeah, yep. I think it's really made a difference. Yeah, no, I appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate you answering that question because you know it's. Um, on the forums, on the homeschooling forums, on a lot of the subreddits for homeschooling, I've been seeing this problem of, you know, people are juggling homeschooling and working and it's a huge challenge. So it's, it's interesting, you know, I think the general consensus is to do this kind of shifting nature, find the time. And that's what we kind of do too. Yeah. And And there's also a lot of empowerment that can come with that, right? So like one of the things that we decided is we didn't want Grady just like in the car going back and forth and shuttling Peyton, right? So he and I yeah. sat down, we made a checklist of things, tasks that he should do in the morning. He picked out the icons on Google, like the little pictures that were going to go with it. And we put it in the sleeve and he's got a, you know, he's got a little whiteboard marker. And he knows that when I get in the car to drop Peyton off, that it's checklist time and my husband's working and it's, you know, it's his. And, and part of that was a decision like, those practical life skills are things that, um, and I don't know if it's necessarily gender, but he, he, we identified as as some area of growth. Right. And, and also giving him some autonomy back because what's happened is we have this little friend who just all of a sudden got a taste of freedom for the first time in his life as a kindergartner and he got a bus Mm -hmm. ride and he got recess and all of these things that, you know, then got just yanked away instantaneously and all of Mm -hmm. his power was gone, you know, so we ha- we've been trying to be more intentional as we've seen the power struggles pop up about like, what can I do to give him a little bit of power back? Um, exactly. Yeah. W- within, in a way that works. A, yeah. yeah. Within <laughs> yeah. a safety, you know, being yeah. as safe as you possibly can. Um, sure. Are you doing homeschooling for the one that's at Montessori? Our, our youngest is going to Montessori as well as kind of like an intermediate. Um, you know, we've been doing it for the last couple of years, but we've also been homeschooling in tandem. Um, and then next year she's going to be going to kindergarten using the parent partnership. And we'll talk a little bit, actually a little bit more about that. Um, but are you also homeschooling you know, like a pre-K curriculum as well? Or is it just Montessori and free play for your pre-K? Yeah. So she, if there's ever anything going on and that girl is involved in it. So, okay. <laughs> so she finds a way to insert herself. I She is determined that she wants to be a reader. So I have recently started doing a little bit of phonics instruction, um, but actually I do, I, I I never really have done a lot of homeschooling with my kids, even pre COVID. Um, just mostly, you know, we really subscribed to play-based preschool. We went to a cooperative preschool with Grady. Um, it wasn't until my work started picking up that we switched to Montessori, which is another philosophy that I love and respect and adore. Um, and so she's there, um, as a half dayer. And so she's there every day from 820 to 1140. So I don't really do much extra with her, although she's very involved in the practical life. (laughs) No, I understand. 
Um, so what what um, type of curriculum are you doing with, you know, your kid, your older kid? Um, are you doing any certain type of curriculum specific, like, you know, a secular curriculum? Or are you just doing something that the school district supplied to you? And are you, do you have manipulatives? And, you know, what are you using right now as kind of the base of your homeschooling? That's great. So um, the district through partner, parent partnership does provide some curriculum. Um, we got really fortunate in the sense that we have another great educator um, as his primary caseload manager teacher um, who is really willing to work with me. And so I was able to identify pretty quickly some areas that he had needed some growth in. So we are using mm-hmm. Words Their Way for phonics instruction. Um, which is something um, that I had used previously in the schools um, and really, um, really appreciate, Um, as well as we're using Handwriting Without Tears. So those are two that I purchased to supplement just based off of things I identified in him. Um, Mm -hmm. And then math is interesting. So they use Jump Math, um, which is the curriculum that we're provided. We use it lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am using Dreambox, um, which I'll try not to get on my soapbox about, but I'm using Dreambox as a math supplement as well, because it is Common Core aligned, Common Core Mm -hmm. aligned. And um, are you guys familiar with Dreambox at all? No, we haven't heard of it. Okay. So um, Dreambox is, I believe, a local company, but it's game-based math instruction. Um, And one of the things that's really cool about it is that there's not a lot of, um, doesn't seem that there's a lot of intuitive tech tech out there, um, in my opinion. And so Dreambox, um, if he's, if he's getting all the questions right, it moves him up. If it, if he gets it wrong, it reteaches the concepts. It uses Mm. digital manipulatives. Of course I can't help myself. So like, as he's doing it, I have the wreck and wreck and the math manipulatives and like the, the counting cubes next to him just to see like, so he can use the digital version of the manipulative or he can build it with his hands. Um, because those are all resources I, I have already. Um, but you could potentially not have to buy anything because they can use those digital tools. Um, I was really bummed that the the school district decided to not renew the membership, um, Mm. except for, and this was interesting, they decided to renew it for their high cap kids, um, which I I struggled with because um, why we would renew something for our students who are exceeding standard, but not for the general population was a equity question that I felt um, needed to be addressed, but um, anyway, so we ended up buying it. So it's about $75 for the year. Um, for a st- no. Yeah. So it's not bad. And then my preschooler loves Homer, um, which, um, so when we do limited iPad time, we have an Osmo and we have Homer, which are the two that we purchased. Osmo is really neat because they're physically manipulating something in front of the iPad and building it. And then it's appearing on the screen. Um, yeah, we, we, we've seen the Osmo before. We, yeah, we yeah. it's on our short list we, for Christmas. Yeah, we, we try to limit. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying. Yeah, it's a definitely a Christmas gift. Um, yeah. We're trying to limit. We, we try to limit screen time as much as yeah. we can. We're um, the, we get the zombie effect. At well, this we get the zombie yeah. effect and we and we can see a physical regression in behavior yes. if there's Absolutely. any prolonged amount of time on there. So yeah, she's still a little bit young. We're, she's we're, still we're starting to meet her out as, as kind of like a supplement, a little bit of Khan Academy kids. And I think we're going to be doing a podcast here in, in about a week or two on this. Um, but we've been, I, I've enjoyed the Khan Academy kids and she's five, but yeah. she's doing kindergarten math and reading. Yep. So, she, you know, 
that's where we focus but we're doing a pre-k curriculum for for her literature and and history and all that stuff so okay that's interesting so i think ariel took down those notes we'll make sure to put those in the show notes for everybody who's listening so you don't have to write those down and I think it's really looking at the quality. I mean, it's, I feel like, I think we have a lot of guilt as parents and yes, the behavior, absolutely. Like it's not, it's not worth it for us, you know, but, but if you can do something that's high quality and as your kids get older and they start to understand that these are my 30 minutes, use them wisely. Yeah. You know? <laughs> do you, do you, do you do a lot of, I, I've noticed that when I do a side by side with, with my oldest, uh, with the screen time that it, it tends to go a little bit better. Do you do a lot of side by side when you're doing screen time activities with him? Yes, particularly for Dreambox, um, because I'm trying to reinforce mathematical concepts. So it's not just, it's not just sit and get. The times when my kids get sit and get is the roughest hour of the day. So it's five to six when everybody's tired and we're trying to make dinner. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's when we would either do something on the iPad or the other one. We do PBS kids, like they can watch one PBS kids show we um, call that olaf time that's called house. the olaf hour for us <laughs> thank <laughs> god for you Di- yeah disney disney plus released all these little animated shorts for olaf and then they there's a youtube channel oh, i'm sure she knows yeah i know i'm sure <laughs> yeah. and then they, yeah. they they put them all together in one 15 minute block yeah, on YouTube. So. Yeah, thank god for yeah. whoever did that thank you i know thank you isn't that, that i know that. Thank you to the YouTube guy. Well, I feel like as my kids have gotten older and they know what to expect, like in our house, Friday night movie night is like a big deal. It actually starts at like 345. Don't be fooled. Um, (laughs) But part of the fun of them getting older is it's, it's, we read the book and then we watch the movie. And so, and that's like where the power is. It's in those conversations of like, Oh, that's not, that's not what I thought Aslan was going to look like or that, you know, and talking Mm -hmm. about the characters and, um, and, and so it, it is learning, right? It's it's just using it purposefully. So, have have you done anything unique, uh, you know, in the times of COVID with your education with your kids to kind of um, keep them excited, like get them outside, get them socialization, or do fun things in the home that are kind of different than what you did before, just to kind of you know break up the monotony or the isolation, the feelings of isolation. Yeah, we enrolled Grady in a forest school um, Mm. on one day a week in the afternoons, um, Pacific Northwest Kids. It's at that Willis Tucker Park. So it's it's fully outdoor. They have a preschool program there, I believe. And then they had a small group uh, called Junior Explorers, which is first grade through fifth grade. Uh, It's now a pretty large program, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, So he does that outside one day a week rain or shine, um, and loves it. Um, he really, I think, and I think a big part of that is just that need for socialization, but also he just loves to be outside. So we do a lot of, um, nature science. I was actually just looking at those common core or the next generation science standards for science, realizing like, okay, we've been doing a lot of nature science, but we have some other objectives we need to get to for first grade. Um, but he loves science. That's an area that he really loves. And so I'm, you know, more intentional about our setting up of experiments and moving through the scientific method together um, and and really kind of following his lead um, on some of those things that he's hoping to learn. Um, I think that that's one shift um, has been before I felt this pressure to like kind of fill in my perceived gaps. And now the gift of homeschool has been the ability to follow the lead of my child. So to be mm-hmm. able to ask him, like, what do you want to learn about? He really wanted to learn about how glass was made and human babies. And, you know, so being able to follow the things that he's passionate about, I mean, we know 
um, you know, attention is the beginning of devotion. That's, you know, Mary Oliver would say that. And so just kind of being able to where he, where his attention is and just kind of focus in on that. And then the other thing I would say that I'm doing differently is there were some things that I had identified um, as things that I wish looked a little different um, in his schooling. And so they really fell into two different domains. The first uh, was I really felt like uh, Grady was in need of a stronger focus on anti-bias and anti-racist education. And so um, that's been a pretty intentional work um, as far as what he's what is being presented to him um, in the learning content and really thinking about culturally responsive practice and teaching. So that was one area that we've really shifted our focus. Um, and then direct um, phonics, phonics instruction has been a second focus area um, because he was receiving balanced literacy. And so I was um, quickly identifying some challenges in his reading abilities um, and some habits that I was hoping to break. <laughs> so with, with your with your new homeschooling experience, how do you has this changed how you feel about homeschooling, if at all, and your perception of it, you know, from coming from a teaching environment to, to actually homeschooling now? Such a great question. So Grady says I'm the best teacher and he's never going back to school, <laughs> <laughs> which you would never know from some of the battles <laughs> that him and I get over. Like, I don't know why they call it handwriting without tears. Cause there are tears in our, in our household <laughs> over handwriting. Um, I think, gosh, that's such a great question. Um, it's okay if you don't have an answer to it. No, yeah. My There's just so many perceptions yeah, about it, you know, until you actually get sure. in the meat of it. Yeah, I mean, especially when you get online, you get some, I knew a homeschooler and he yeah, was terrible. Yeah, they were weird, locked and, in their house. Like, oh, and... I went to public school and I knew a lot of weird kids too. And Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's hard for me, if I'm being totally honest with you, it's hard for me to separate homeschool from school choice. So when you think about like the realm of education, school choice feels like a threat to the the institution of public education. Like the idea that we're going to take our dollars and appropriate them to a Christian private school um, and it feels like it, it feels like a perpetuation of um, allowing kids who have access to resources to have access to more resources and kids who have access to public education to have less, right? And we know that there's a lot of complications in the way that schools are funded. So for me, one of the things that has shifted is this realization of like, it's, they don't have to be competing forces, right? And I think I would take with me back to the classroom, some of the gifts of the recognition of the individual, because I think one of the things that you really think about as a public school teacher is you're always thinking about the collective. Um, and so, and maybe that's also parenting, right? Like this, this is something that would have happened naturally just from being a parent, but just really having a keen eye towards individual strengths and goals and loves and desires. And um, so I think that's, that's one thing I would take back to the classroom and it's the way it's impacted my parenting is I definitely feel um more bonded to my child and his, mm -hmm. you know, like I know his, him in a different way. So, so much to go with there. Um, so in the homeschooling world, there's a lot of people who kind of fall onto the school at home model where they actually, you know, it's indistinguishable from 
say like a classroom. There's also people who are kind of on the unschooling model, uh, more intrinsic based motivation, follow the learner, mentor kind of thing. Is there anything that you've experienced in homeschooling that you feel would benefit kids if schools would adopt this type of you know learning? I know there's a lot of criticism on the homeschooling side of the kind of the common core methodology. Um, is there any thing that you might take back to the school from your homeschooling ex- experience, like kind of as like a idea sharing type of thing? Yeah, um, I, I might not be the right person to ask about this because my philosophies as far as what I believed should exist in the classroom were already going to be a little bit more towards the, the homeschooling Montessori methodology than more mm-hmm. a more traditional school. So I'm very inspired by the work of Alfie Cohn, who um, talks, he wrote the mm-hmm. book Punished by Rewards. I don't know if you're yep. familiar. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> Cohen, Holt, Gatto. Yes. Um, who, who's the other lady? Um, uh, they're all on our shelves. They're all on our shelves. So, yes. <laughs> okay. No, a so lot of homeschoolers. Speaking the same language. Yeah, yeah we're, we're all on the same page here. Yep. <laughs> okay. So the other one that is... Um, been a so public Montessori would be like my dream placement just so you know that about me like that would be like my ideal and there are a few that exist um there's one there's one right down the road from us yes exactly not in my school district I have a I have a I have a friend whose um his son goes there oh okay Uh, yeah yeah yeah, they're in and they and they love it they they drive the full distance just to get them to the Montessori school yeah yeah exactly so I wish that there was more of that I also wish that there, you know, so I worked in a district that had a lot of choice that was embedded in the public schools. When you look at Lake Washington mm-hmm. School District, once you hit middle school, you had all of these different choice schools that you could apply to. You had Tesla, you had the international school, you had, you know, these different options. Um, if a, you know, a traditional middle school wasn't going to work for you or for your family. Granted, you're at the mercy of a lottery, but they were, you know, publicly funded. They weren't independent. They were still overseen, you know, so there was, I, I felt like that was such a good, um, a, a good happy medium. Um, but anyways, I digress. I forgot what your original question was. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, just, you know, you're going on the track to be a principal. You'll, mm-hmm. you know, you'll run a, you know, potentially run a school with, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of kids. Is there anything that homeschooling that your homeschooling experience will, you'll bring forward other than, you know, you know, really liking the Montessori method, but, you know, have you thought about bringing intrinsic motivation back to the school? Have you, do you have ideas around that or is it, you know, more something that's really just meant for homeschooling? Like, do you see a, a path forward to bringing some of these ideas into the public school? I do. I do. And there's a couple of different places that I think have been giving me a little bit of hope. So first of all, Washington State just adopted some new social emotional learning um, standards uh, that were, I believe, last January. So there, those are, there's a big focus now on some of these, these skills, which we used to consider soft skills, but we know now that they're not soft skills. They're very important life skills. Um, so that is one piece that I think is a huge step forward. That's a, a real positive that those are now adopted standards. And um, they did a really good job of looking at the standards across the grade levels um, and really coming up with indicators mm-hmm. um, for students and also breaking it down for teachers. Um, and so I think, um, you know, love standards, hate standards, wherever you fall on it, that's okay. Sure. But it does drive instruction and it does, it does center our focus. So I was happy to see those, um, and I think that that was that's a real a real positive. 
you've been attending the the pub the parent partnership program, which is a public school um, option that supports homeschoolers. Uh, this would be the first real introduction on the show for our listeners who haven't been to a parent partnership before. We've kind of defined the term, but we haven't really talked about it much. Can you describe you know what the parent partnership is and your your experience uh, for your family? Yeah, absolutely. So in a COVID setting is what I can describe because I haven't been there. <laughs> I haven't been there in a, in a usual time. So I know that when when life is normal, that there's a lot of enrichment and there's a lot more instruction that happens. But for us right now, the support that we receive each week um, is that we have a weekly meeting with his teacher, which is just a 45 minute Zoom call opportunity for the teacher to talk to the kids. She usually reads them a story that's um, going to end up being an anchor to the writing that they'll be doing that week. Um, and they check in, they do their calendar. Um, so it's just once a week, which I think is is nice for us because it's not too overwhelming. Um, and then she provides a calendar for the week with kind of the general pacing of like, the, these are the, this is how you should get through the material. Um, and they do support uh, with curriculum. So we received the workbooks that go with that, with those curricula that I had mentioned earlier. Um, and so it's just, she kind of just keeps us on track throughout the week um, and then collects a little bit of evidence. Um, the family is responsible for social studies, science, and PE. And so the process for that is that each month we write a goal um, for those content areas and then we provide evidence. So they're helping with a lot of the compliance components of being a homeschool parent um, mm -hmm. and uh, collecting some of that evidence. What I've found um, is that they've been really flexible to our needs. So like, for example, we use jump math. Um, and so right now the kids are working on unit two. And so one of the most powerful things we can do, and parents can do this too, it's not just teachers, is we can pre-assess our kids. So before we start doing all these little worksheets, I went to the end of the unit and I was like, perfect, here's a little test. So I, before he'd even done learning, I handed, you know, Grady took the test and he passed it with flying colors. And so this is not where we are spending our time. We are not doing worksheets on the, in an area where he's already demonstrated proficiency because that's not a good use of our time. And his teacher is incredibly supportive of that. So I sent her little pictures of the little end of unit test. She's like, great, what are you working on instead? And I was able to share with her, you know, the direction that we were headed. We're working on measurement right now. So um, so that's been nice. It's, it's nice to have support um, and to have guidance, but then to also um, have a relationship with a teacher who is willing to adjust in a way that works for our family. So one of the episodes we just did, that's probably one of the last questions we'll ask, and then we'll maybe get some ideas from you on going forward. But we just did a, a, an episode where we kind of compared early learners' time in the classroom uh, versus kind of the time in, you know, the homeschool room. Um, sure. One of the big questions and concerns that a lot of young homeschoolers have and a lot of the accidental homeschoolers that we've seen on, say, the, you know, some of the message boards and whatnot is, am I doing enough? And it's a big question that a lot of people have. They're afraid of the standards. They're afraid of, you know, am I going to do enough? Is my kid going to be ready to go off to, you know, if I send them back to public school or if they end up going back to public school, will they be behind? Will they be behind or forward? And we found that a lot of the time that they're spending um, that we're able to achieve a lot more in a, in a limited amount of time. Have, have you seen that in your homeschooling? Have you noticed that? 
Yeah. And I can, you know, there is a lot, there are a lot of transitions that happen in a public school day. There's a lot of extras mm-hmm. that happen. There's a lot of time that is lost slash spent <laughs> helping yeah. kids acclimate to the classroom, right. And to learn the procedures. And so when you think about core academic instruction and also what's developmentally appropriate for how long kids are sitting and receiving instruction. So I think the best guess we have is about a minute per year until they're nine, in which case stop at nine minutes, no matter how old they are. Right. Um, and so yeah. I, I really actually, I have felt that tension, right. I pull up, I, I had never, um, I left the classroom before the next generation science standards came out. And so because I don't have experience with them, they are also a little intimidating to me. And so when I look at those standards and I think to myself, like, how are we going to cover all of this in this year? I experience that same feeling. So I can definitely empathize with it. I think two things have helped me. I think the first thing is trying to continue to be mindful about instructing Grady at his developmental level. So if we're provided with a list of sight words, we don't just start memorizing the sight words. We pre-assess and I figure out, okay, he's got these three. Therefore, th- we're done with those three. And But he doesn't understand these four. And so we're going to spend our time wisely on these four that he needs additional practice on. And using that as a guide, so like really making sure that the, the work that we are doing is high quality because, yes, he is getting fewer instructional minutes than kids than other kids out there right now. So, um, So that's been one thing that I feel like I can control is making sure that the instruction that I'm providing meets what he needs and that we're being very careful, not just about increasing quantity. It's not about doing more work pages. It's mm-hmm. about doing purposeful work, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part one. Um, and then the second piece of it is I've just had to remind myself that this little cohort of kids is going to be like the great experiment. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> going to be tracking their progress and looking at yeah. their data. And when I think about it, um, bigger picture, like he's going to be fine. He's going to be okay. Um, that again is a privileged position because there are some kids who are, who are not receiving supplemental instruction or don't have a parent at home that can support them that are going to fall further behind as a result of this. And that is heartbreaking to me. So, so it's a, it's definitely a balance there for my my child, I have to remind myself that he's going to be okay and he's going to be successful. And this cohort of kids is is going to navigate this and they're going to be all right. We'll finish with probably, I, I think the question, I think um, a lot of young homeschoolers, uh, parents, um, outside of being afraid that if we're doing enough, is that, you know, a lot of us are going to be on this for the long haul. I know we are. Mm-hmm. We're going to go all the way homeschooling. I understand maybe you might go back to the public school and that's fine. A lot of our listeners may do that as well. What can we do as homeschooling parents, you know, to become better educators? Since you are an educator, is there any wisdom? Is there anything we can learn, books to read, philosophers to to read, to make ourselves or to learn to become better educators for our children? Is there any, any wisdom you can impart on to our listeners for that? Yeah. Um, so there's a researcher named John Hattie who did a massive meta-analysis of over, I think it was 800 different studies on education. And mm-hmm. ultimately, he was able to compile a list of strategies um, that for teaching um, that had a positive impact on learning. So his book is called Visible Learning. 
Uh, he also recently uh, came out with with Fisher and, Fisher and Fry and Hattie came out with a book called The Distance Learning Playbook. So they were able to compile some of their strategies um, and uh, rewrite it for the current times, which was great to see as well. Um, and so if you're looking for like what strategies actually make a difference in learning, that would be a great place to look for some research-based practices. Um, and so, so like immediately thinking about that, one of the most powerful strategies that you can use is something called a jigsaw. Are you familiar with that? No, no. So if you take like a, I'll, it might be something that it, I'm going to say this. It's something that's worth looking into because when I think about like homeschooling, I think, hmm, how could you replicate that strategy? I couldn't replicate it with just Grady. Um, and so it's an interesting question to ask yourself when you look at some of the more effective practices for education and thinking about how they could be replicated without community would, is an interesting kind of question to think through. Um, mm -hmm. But there are several different strategies that have a major um, effect size on learning. And those are, um, those would be very interesting to look into um, as a kind of a basis of what strategies are, are helpful for students. Uh, but, Here's one of the things that's interesting. The teacher efficacy is very high up there. So our ability to our confidence in our teaching and our and our ability to be learners and to model learner to learning and to always be growing. Um, and and so I love that you're asking that question, I guess is what I'm getting at, because uh, I think if you are someone who is committed to to persevering and learning more about how to teach, um, I think that's a great starting point. So that is going to be a very technical, <laughs> technical read. Uh, but I do, it definitely is something that I think is um, a very helpful one. And then the second one um, that I consistently go back to, um, there's a book that's called T Total Participation Techniques. It's Making Every Student an Active Learner. Um, it's by Hamel and Hamel. And one of the things that I like about it is it talks a lot about the cost, the high cost of disengagement. And it talks about um, the importance of higher order thinking. Um, and it gets into that idea that I was talking a little bit about formative assessment. So as we're, mm -hmm. we're checking in with our kids and we're seeing what they understand and then we're pushing their thinking forward based off of where they are um, in that moment. And I, I really like that um, that strategy as well, the total participation techniques, because it gives you a lot of different ideas about how you can get kids thinking um, at a, a higher cognitive level. Hmm. I know for me, when I first started teaching, I tended to uh, default to low order thinking questions when I didn't know what else to say to a student. So I was asking recall questions as opposed to if you look at Bloom's taxonomy, the higher level thinking, the place where kids are applying and creating and, and imagining. And so just being mindful of what types of questions that we're asking kids can also make a huge difference. Can you so, explain yeah. the Go difference ahead. between low order and high order questions just for those who aren't familiar? Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you there's. Um, there's, it's, it, it has to do with the depth of knowledge. So when I first, if you look at 
Bloom's taxonomy, you know, it's kind of shaped like a triangle. So when I'm first starting to um, think about something, when I'm just getting familiar with it, it's going to be important for me to think through some of the questions like, can I define it? Can I recall it? But as I gain additional experience and exposure to a topic, I'm able to think more abstractly about it. And as you move up Bloom's taxonomy of questions, um, that's when you're going to get into what they would consider higher order thinking questions. So that's where I'm also able to analyze um, or do something with the information. I'm able to transfer it into a new setting. I'm able to apply it in a new setting or create something with that information. So the idea is that as we become more familiar with a concept, we can think more deeply about it um, and more abstractly. Okay. That's, yeah, I think I understand what you mean by that. Yeah, um, one of the, one of the, maybe just piggybacking on what you're saying there, one of the big challenges that a lot of young homeschooling parents have is that, you know, we have young kids, they have very narrow, <laughs> very narrow attention spans. And it feels like sometimes you're walking on that razor's edge between, you know, they're bored or you've lost them. Are there mm-hmm. any tricks out there, especially for the early learners, maybe kindergarten, first, second grade, where we can, maybe become better at managing that very narrow band that we seem to have to sail through? I think that's where that student choice component becomes so important because if what they are learning is driven by their passions, then they do have a little bit more engagement around it to begin with. Um, And so I think that's an important, important first step. And then I also think that there's a lot of power in just asking a child. Like sometimes I'll say to Peyton, like, it looks to me like you're really not interested in this work. And then it, it comes out like, no, but it's just, it's my hand is tired or you didn't find my lefties and these are righties and I don't want to cut with the, you know, so like <laughs> asking her, as soon as I ask her that question, it like just kind of, un, and, and sometimes the answer is just, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And so then I have to make a decision, right? Like, are we going to be working for resiliency or are we working for mastery <laughs> on this academic? And it's, that's, that's the, that's the tension, right? Is that as a parent and an educator, we can't just be done to avoid the meltdown the same way I might with my mom hat on, but as the primary teacher of this child, like knowing when to encourage a next step and, you know, can we set the timer and do it for one more minute or, you know, kind of building their stamina a little bit, um, I think is helpful and, and beneficial. And I think that's something I've really learned from Montessori, you know, I'll, I'll never forget walking into the classroom and seeing these three-year-olds doing an hour and a half long work cycle, you know, and, yeah. and they clean up after themselves. They don't do that yeah. in my house. I know. <laughs> no, ours doesn't either. She also goes to Montessori. Yeah. She does not clean up. <laughs> I know. Hey, but, but I'm, tra- I'm training the 16 month old to throw trash away and stuff. So I'm, there you go. Yeah. I'm so learning, what are all learned, the special half things the that time she, away? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, well, half the time she stuff. dumpster dives. So yeah, she, then she dumps 50% success rate. <laughs> yes. Everything is, everything is special and everything is important to my daughter. And so, like you'll throw you have to, I have to like smuggle the trash out in the middle of the night maybe my last question especially for talking to another person who has the educating and the you know the parenting hat do you find it a challenge to you know change those two hats the parent versus the educator a lot of times I feel at the end of the day that I have been the educator and not the parent too much have you learned to balance that and what tricks have you you know, learned. So for me, the schedule has been like having that schedule 
it really mm-hmm. was born out of the fact that Grady needed a schedule. Like he really needs, he's a little friend who needs to know like when things are going to happen and what to expect. Yeah. And, but then what I started to realize was that it also was very beneficial for me. Obviously, yes, learning happens outside. I, I fully believe like learning does not only happen when we're at the table working mm-hmm. together on a standard learning happens when we're making bread and, you know, and all walk, walking around looking for leaves and talking about pigment and, you know, like all of these things. Yep. Um, so I, so those are the moments where I'm like my, I'm wearing my mom teacher hat is like those authentic learning experiences, you know, when we're mm-hmm. building forts and we're, you know, and that's when I'm like a mom, I think that there's something about like that nine to eleven thirty window where we're at the table and we're, yeah. you know, and I'm teaching and modeling and we're doing it side by side. And I try really hard to leave my phone in the kitchen, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's my time with him like that. I would say is when I am wearing more of this, like I'm your teacher hat. And part of that probably I'm not playing the long game with this yet the same way you guys are. So I think that there's something I haven't have really done that role shift because I don't, I have no, this was supposed to be the year I was supposed to go back to the classroom. So this mm-hmm. totally caught us off guard that I'm in this role. And so I think part of it has just been for me is just really just kind of taking it a week at a time, <laughs> a week at a time. Um, and, um, but yeah, so the, the schedule piece of it has been big for us, which I know that's not the value of some families. Like, and I think that's also totally acceptable, but it, that's been, I think the thing that has been helpful to me is kind of um, putting brackets around it a little bit. And I don't, but I don't know that's how I would approach it if I was thinking to myself that we were going to be doing this until seventh grade, because I think if that was, if it was, you know, if it was something I was thinking that we were going to be doing for a long time, I think I would probably take a different approach and I could see myself embracing more of like everything is learning. Right. Hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, so that's a really, that's a very interesting thing to think through. Well, gosh, this has just been so great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. We really appreciate it. I think this was super informative. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!